Well, good afternoon and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works and to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. But during these pandemic times, we're actually not able to take phone calls. So this is just a recorded version of Talk of the Towns. I'm your host, Ron Beard, hoping you'll stay with us for the next hour and Talk of the Towns. This afternoon, our topic is the History Trust, connecting historical resources for all time. And a wonderful um, new uh, venture um, on Mount Desert Island and vicinity. And we're happy to welcome to Talk of the Towns Bruce Jacobson, who is serving as the uh, coordinator for the History Trust. Rainy Bench is the uh, representative um, from uh, one of the representatives from the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. Uh, she's joined by Pauline and Joan, um, also from the Historical Society, and Helene Tuchman of the Tremont Historical Society. Welcome to you all. I'm so glad you could be with us. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having Thank us. Well, let's get started with, um, to let listeners know a little bit about you. Could we start um, with uh, Rainey, uh, your connection to history in general and, and how you get involved in all of this? You've had a number of different positions with the Abbey Museum, the Seal Cove Auto Museum, and now with the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. Give us some background. Yeah, well, you just summed it up pretty well. <laughs> this is the third organization that I've worked with um, that has been involved in the development of the History Trust um, with a commitment to share our historical resources as widely as possible. Um, I am I'm a museum person. I come from a museum background committed to the ways that museums can move in unique spaces to educate people, that we can come outside of formal education and play with topics and information in a way that engages people um, in their free time and, and in a way that they want to learn something new and they want to experience something new. So I believe really powerfully in museums. We are one of the most trusted sources for information in the country, which is a big responsibility, but also a gift. And a lot of that comes with the dedication that as staff we have to making sure that we are um, thorough and careful in how we preserve and share historic content and historic information. So, so that's sort of the perspective that brings me to this, this group. And as you mentioned, I was with the Abbey Museum when the History Trust idea was in its infancy. As I moved over to the Seal Cove Auto Museum, the History Trust flourished and um, I was able to bring in the Seal Cove Auto Museum's participation in the organization, and then now with the Mount Desert Island Historical Society, uh, continue to be an active um, player in, in the development of the trust, which is really exciting. Uh, Pauline uh, and Joan, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you came into this work. I'm not a historian at all. I'm a retired techie person who moved to Maine 20 years ago. Um, I live in Prospect Harbor, so at the other side of the bay. And I happened to look at one of the famous historic homes in our town, Daniel Deasy's farm out my office window. And it turns out that Daniel's got some descendants over there on MDI. Um, but I'm also a, an amateur actress and have done some work with a small theater group here. 
And because of that, ended up being a tour guide on MDI and got all involved in MDI history. And then all of a sudden, the History Trust put those two things back together. So here I am. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, we're glad you could be with us. And uh, Helene, tell us a little bit about um, you and, and the Tremont Historical Society. Well, I was an American Studies uh, and History major in college and a librarian and archivist by training. And so when we moved to Bass Harbor, I became interested in the Tremont Historical Society, which was just then um, organizing itself uh, into modern standards. And uh, uh, as a librarian uh, who was in at the start of the automation of libraries, uh, I was very aware of the various kinds of databases and um, and the beauties of cooperation among institutions to open up the world outside the walls of the library. Uh, I became a member of the board of trustees of the uh, Tremont Historical Society, and I'm one of the people who's actively inventorying and putting our information into uh, a database. So when the History Trust came along, I was just delighted. We're going to define the History Trust in just a moment because listeners are, are, are kind of curious, I'm sure. But Bruce, um, before we do that, um, your background, how you came into this work. So I've been involved uh, in my career with the environment, and I've always uh, defined that very broadly. Some folks talk about the natural environment and the cultural environment, but I believe it's all one. And so throughout my work with the Maine Audubon Society, Maine Coast Heritage Trust, the National Park Service, I've always tried to combine uh, natural and cultural ideas, uh, particularly in relation to people. I mean, um, a lot of, for instance, you think about Acadia National Park as a natural park, but in fact, it's a cultural resource. It was set aside, created, designed by people, for people, using the natural environment. So I've always had this connection uh, with both nature and with history. Um, and uh, I've had, Mount Desert Island's been my home base for 36 years, and um, I left the National Park Service, uh, oh, I guess about six or seven years ago, and since then have been consulting, and so I've been brought on uh, as a consultant to help organize and kind of move the History Trust forward. Mm, that's great. Well, the, the, the origin story of the History Trust really has its root in land conservation. Um, Rainey, maybe you can pick up the, the story there in terms of Bill Horner and Tim Garrity kind of, kind of saying there's something about land trusts that's really important. What if there were a history trust? Tell us a little bit about that origin story. Sure. Um, so, so it started with actually a number of, um, I guess you would call amateur historians or historians uh, in their retirement looking for uh, information for personal projects that they were working on related to family history or, or interests, uh, Bill Horner being one of them, Jack Russell another, and, and the struggle to go from organization to organization to try and piece together what it is they were looking for. So they might have to go to the Tremont Historical Society and they would find bits of history there, but then felt like they were always sleuthing and trying to have to go, you know, to the next place and the next place. And it was really frustrating. And they looked at how Acadia National Park was formed through sort of a series of um, gifts and the concept of stewardship. So this idea that there are certain resources that are sort of so important to the collective you know, community and, and to ourselves as, as humanity, 
that they deserve to be open and accessible to everyone. And so using that sense of, uh, of stewardship combined with the frustration of finding little bits of history sort of owned by these individual organizations led them to consider, should we look at history as a community resource, that it is not something that we own in our organizations or our institutions, but that we are stewards for this, this material that is meant to carry on for future generations uh, in perpetuity. And so coming together, they formed Friends of Island History to see, is there a way that we can get more shared information available to the public? And the first project Friends of Island History brought forward was to digitize the entire collection of the Bar Harbor Times and the Bar Harbor Record to make those freely available online, which is still an incredible resource. I know I've relied on it extensively for research and publications and exhibits that I've done. And, uh, and it's just a really great thing. And, um, and so that was like the first sort of baby step into seeing what could be done. And organizations on the island volunteered to be a part of this, spending time and um, investing their own resources into developing this concept, the Jessup Library was really a key partner from the beginning. Um, almost all of the historical societies were involved, including some of the outer islands with Islesford and Great Cranberry, um, sitting together and, and thinking through these things. We were getting uh, really wonderful support from the Charles Butt Foundation to do some preliminary research on what would it take to form a history trust. Um, we created a memorandum of understanding that brought everyone formally together to the table to be able to, to um, do a study to find out what kinds of infrastructure we would need to make historical resources available to a general audience. Um, and so we hired History IT to come in and they did an analysis of all of the different collections that the partnering organizations had. There were 16 partner organizations at the time and looked at where were the fragile collections? Where are things most at risk of being damaged or lost or destroyed? Where were collections being um, crowded so we didn't have enough space in our storage areas to care for and carefully um, preserve the collections? And then what do we have that we just simply didn't even know we had because we don't have the time necessarily to catalog, scan, digitize, and cross-reference everything. And so, for example, MDI Historical Society may have some of the exact same documents, resources, and photographs as the Tremont Historical Society. If we're overcrowding, do we both need to have those? Or is there a way that we can work together to refine that? So these questions were really at the core of the development for the History Trust. And that History IT study helped us recognize so many of where we had strengths and where our vulnerable resources uh, really needed to be cared for. And then the other thing that, that sort of came about was um, this shared desire to tell an island-wide story, a commitment to the fact that each one of us can tell our own stories with strength and with clarity, but who's telling the full story of the island? And so together, that is something that the History Trust has um, a really unique ability and we're poised. We haven't started yet, but I think one of our visions for the future is how do we start working together to strengthen the storytelling for, um, for the island.
Mm. Helene, from your perspective with the Tremont Historical Society, what led you and your colleagues to say, oh, this is a good idea? <laughs> um, why, why did you want to get involved in what became um, the History Trust? It was not difficult. <laughs> we were a group of uh, volunteers who um, had various strengths, and we, uh, we had accumulated um, uh, lots of treasures, and we had taken advantage of um, various grants for preservation and buying the, uh, the, the proper materials. Uh, but we were truthfully, I think no one was less than 70 years old, and we were all retired people and uh, with a love of the island and a love of Tremont history. And um, uh, and so uh, we brought our strengths together. And I, I had this strength in cooperative um, uh, ventures. And also in, um, as I said, I was... I was in at the beginning of uh, automating, um, bringing together uh, by computer uh, databases. And I saw the, the immense value of that. And so that, that um, I managed to translate that to the board of directors and um, they, uh, they voted the funds to buy the software and the um, equipment. But we also realized when History Trust came along, that that would be our savior, that the materials that we had would be known to the world and people could have access to them. And so uh, that, uh, that has been my focus and I've, uh, it's much more interesting than fixing roofs and things like that and, um, uh, and, and much more valuable and plus, one thing I learned as a historian I, and as a librarian, I'm very opposed to giving out wrong information. And I realized Tremont had, and Mount Desert had wonderful long history. Um, and uh, as a docent in the museum, I realized that I, at my age, I was not going <laughs> to become an expert on Tremont. Uh, and, and we had on the board and as docents, experts on Tremont history. So if I was going to take my place as a representative, I needed very accurate information, not out of my head, but in a database. And so that, um, that I see can be achieved. Well, so, um, you know, the, where, is, where is history stored now? <laughs> where does history reside? Um, you know, Pauline, from your experience, um, um, kind of dipping into this, um, I imagine you encounter people who have history in their homes, um, history then perhaps in a small museum. Um, Pauline or anybody, where does history reside now? But it's, it is everywhere. You know, as I say, part of what got me hooked was this house across the street. Um, I live in a house that was built in 1905. And when we moved here, I went looking for the original records of the house. I found all kinds of stories about the man who built the house, about his friend two doors away. Um, the, the house itself is still very strong and sturdy. Um, it's interesting what Helene just said. I mentioned earlier that I was doing walking tours in Bar Harbor for many years and also felt that it was very important that anything I told people was the truth. It was based in fact. So I did a lot of reading 
But also one of the Rhodes Scholars on a tour one day said, can you show me where my mother used to work when she came here for the summers? And I said, mm, could you give me a little more information? Well, it turns out her mother had worked at Mrs. Irwin's bonnet shop. Okay. So I went to the newspaper digitization that Rainey mentioned earlier. And sure enough, here's an ad for Mrs. Irwin's bonnet shop open again for the summer. We figured out it was right on the corner of Mount Desert and Holland Streets um, that it did not survive the fire. There's a motel there now. I was looking through one of the collection of local history books we have here in our house because I can't bear to send them back to the library. I have to buy my own copy. Flipping the pages and there was a picture of Mrs. Irwin's bonnet shop. So it was kind of creepy, but it was fun. Uh, but it's in a community as old as these are, it's everywhere. And we're making history now, obviously. We're, a lot of the local museums are recording a lot about the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. So these 13 organizations came together and said, um, let's find out what we have. Let's find out um, how we might do a better job. And um, then that led um, to, to the History Trust. Um, Helene, though, a comment, go ahead. I think there's only 12 organizations. Okay, right uh, right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So now. so um but they came together to say yes. what can we do together? Um who wants to pick up the thread to the actual creation of what's now called the History Trust? How did that come to be? Well, well go ahead, well, Helene. <laughs> as a as a person from the outer <laughs> ring, um we were very interested. We kept sending representatives. We kept talking among ourselves because, as you know, um, uh, I can't speak for all of Maine, but on Mount Desert, everybody is a very individual group and everybody cherishes their school and their post office and their history. And, um, and some communities are richer than others. And so there was... Um, all kinds of apprehension about coming together in a cooperative way. And so uh, I think through the constant meetings, um, and I have to say, um, Bill Horner and Tim Garrity kept that going and going and going until we got to recognize each other and, um, uh, and, and trust each other. And uh, that was a very important uh, aspect of, I think, of the development. That building that trust, and that yes. trust comes from getting to know one another and having those constant meetings. Uh, Bruce, yes. can you can yeah. you get us started, uh, Bruce, to tell us who's a member of the History Trust at the present time? Sure, uh, but I would just uh, just add on to what Helene said that uh, so all of that work led to the official establishment of the History Trust this just this year. Earlier this year, it was incorporated as a as a nonprofit standing on its own, but a collective of twelve now different uh, organizations. So we have two libraries who are members of the trust: uh, the Jessup in Bar Harbor and the Library at the College of the Atlantic. And, but it's not their book collection uh, that's um, on, well, we, have, we haven't really talked about the digital archive, which is a way that we share our resources online. Uh, so the Jessup and College of the Atlantic have um, their archival material that they're sharing online through the, the History Trust. So we have two libraries. Um, we have two uh, institutions right now that are not based on 
Mount Desert Island, but have history related to Mount Desert Island, and those are on the Cranberry Isles. So uh, we have uh, the Islesford Historical Society and Great Cranberry Island Historical Society. Um, we also have two organizations that you wouldn't think of as holding historical collections. And in fact, their purpose is not collecting. Now, most of everyone else, except for these two, you know, there's one function they have is to save things for the future and to share them. But we have two organizations that happen to collect things over the years that uh, tell us about the history of Mount Desert Island. And that's the Bar Harbor Village Improvement Association and the Maine Seacoast Mission. So they've both been around for a very long time, very intimately involved with the community. And so they have things that they have kept over the years that they're now sharing with the public through the History Trust. We have one, uh, we have several museums, one of them being an auto museum. So that's Seal Cove Auto Museum. Uh, and then the other museums and historical societies on MDI, we've already mentioned Tremont Historical Society, which has a collection and a museum, which is open in the summer. Southwest Harbor Historical Society. And they actually just purchased a building and are developing exhibits um, in Manset. Great Harbor Maritime Museum, which is in, located in Northeast Harbor. The Bar Harbor Historical Society is our most recent member. And of course, they are now um, offering uh, La Rochelle, the historic house museum in Bar Harbor, uh, to the public as an exhibit. Plus, uh, that's where they are moving their collections. And then, of course, the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. So those 12 organizations have come together as a collective. And um, we are just now, actually next week, going to be approving our bylaws, hopefully. We'll be voting on the bylaws, put it that way. Um, and so we are going through the bylaws. We have established a system where we are welcoming new institutional member, members uh, who have collections related to the history of Mount Desert Island and are located, you know, we want, this is really a place-based uh, effort. So we're really focused on Mount Desert Island and the surrounding islands. So we've, uh, we've defined our kind of core membership as an institution that collects items related to the history of Mount Desert Island and the surrounding islands. And they are located, uh, you know, in, an, in a community that uh, touches Frenchman Bay or Blue Hill Bay. So this is our kind of place-based um, entity. But we are also going to welcome others who would like to join us in kind of an um, you know, alternative kind of a membership. So we're hoping that individuals and other organizations will join in our effort. And I, this might be a good place to mention that we're also seeking support of individuals right now. We have a $5,000 matching grant, uh, which we are hoping folks will uh, contribute towards, uh, and that expires December 31st. So um, we're looking for some help from anyone, organization or individual, who might be willing to help. Great. Well, well, maybe you could, um, Pauline has uh, shared a great story about um, how she had to do some digging to find uh, an answer to a tourist's or visitor's question. Um, are there other stories of some of the materials um, or the archival um, uh, uh, things um, that, that individual organizations hold that connect in this way to the History Trust? Who's got a story to tell about something interesting? Helene, go ahead, please. Um, uh, as part of my work in um, inventorying and cataloging, I came across a logbook from an inspector of schools for the state of Maine. And it turns out that the town of Tremont had seven schools in the early 20th century because children could not get to, there, was, there weren't school buses. So schools had to be in walking distance. And in this logbook, I saw 
who was a teacher, how many students, what grades they were, um, what kind of studies they were conducting. And, and as it happened, we at that point uh, were invited to clear out a barn uh, in Tremont, and we found all kinds of textbooks, whole because the barn had belonged to a teacher in um, Tremont. And so uh, I began to catalog those textbooks. Now, textbooks, you probably know, are the first things that anybody throws out. Um, uh, libraries, when they have a book sale, say no textbooks. And so here was a complete run of grades one through eight of math and uh, health and history. And, and so I was cataloging them using a national database to make sure my uh, bibliographic material was correct. And I noticed that our set of textbooks uh, really didn't exist in many places, but one place it was, was Yale University. And as I looked at their records, I saw they were missing a volume of one of the sets of um, uh, textbooks. And so I called up <laughs> the library um, at Yale and um, asked them if they would like to have a complete, uh, to have this missing volume so they would have a complete set and they were delighted. And so our board of directors voted to donate that book. Uh, but the fact that this material, this historical record of um, both the physical schools and, and the materials that they were studying were here together. Who would know that? Who would come and look for that? Um, and uh, it would be like throwing a dart into the ocean um, that rural education in a certain period of time was conducted in this way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it was just this wonderful example of when this material uh, is in the, the database and a researcher on education in rural America comes uh, looking, they're going to find it. Great, great, great story. Rainey, have you got a story to tell about um, how this is all working? Somebody who's used the material um, or found material or discovered something? Yeah, um, well, certainly I, I have benefited from it, as I mentioned, um, in, in exhibit projects and other research, but just most recently, when we had to pivot from in-person programs and outreach to digital resource material, we were looking for ways to engage with the public as much as possible, and in new and creative ways. But I also just didn't want to create video programming. I wanted to do something. And so... I had been working on an island-wide scavenger hunt for middle schools already, and we decided that instead we would make that a family-oriented or just available for the general public. And the scavenger hunt would be using primary source material and a map, reading through the primary source documents, looking for clues, and then those clues you have to find the answer on a map, and then ideally you would go to that place on the island. So it would be an opportunity to to take people to different historic places, you know, where history happened here, because that's the strength of all of our organizations is we're interpreting history that's right in our backyards. So we should be able to also go in and see where those places, you know, what happened, what they look like, what the landscape is. And then I'm always curious, are there marks on the landscape that show you that history happened there? So in developing this scavenger hunt, 
I wanted to send people to places where there would be visible marks like Old Farm, you know, George Doors estate where you can see the foundation and the herringbone bricks and you can imagine his estate there and, and look at it. Or Norwood Cove where there was a, you know, a battle with a British warship and there's no markings on the landscape. So you just sort of have to put yourself back in time and imagine what that looked like. And certainly the MDI Historical Society could have had enough records to use, but not everything was digitized and scanned. And it was so much work for me to dig in and find that. But I also wanted, like I said, to send people to other um, sources. So we were able to use the History Trust's digital archive to direct people to the other organizations that are the members that have material online. And um, so we could share their resources and then also physically direct people to go and see different places where history happened as part of this scavenger hunt. So we released that in the spring. We did um, you know, a big public program with it. People did their hunts, and then we revealed the answers. And um, it was a lot of fun. That's a great story. And, and it talks about, again, telling um, the story of a whole island, not just the story of any one town or, or particular collection. I want to remind listeners, they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this afternoon. Um, we're talking with folks from the History Trust, connecting historical resources for all time. And uh, you've just heard from Rainy Bench. She's with the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. Also, Pauline and Joan is with that same organization. Helene Tuchman is the uh, represent, one of the representatives of the Tremont Historical Society, and Bruce Jacobson is serving as the coordinator for the History Trust. Uh, um, to Bruce, can we get started with, with what you know about who uses the, the materials? Sure. Um, I guess I would emphasize that we are a new organization, so in, in some sense, uh, I'm talking about our hopes as well as reality. Sure. Um, but I guess as an example, I just recently got an email from Ron Epp, who wrote a biography of George Dorr. And um, he, which was published, oh, I don't know, what, three years ago now, maybe? And um, <clears throat> his email said, well, I just discovered the History Trust, went on to the digital archive, and what did I find but a resource that would have been very helpful for me when I was writing uh, the biography of George Dorr. Um, so we have uh, professional scholars uh, who would use the digital archive. And community scholars, folks like Bill Horner, who, uh, you know, is trying to present uh, local history, uh, folks who are doing family history. Um, I know that a lot of the people who are intimately involved with the History Trust on our governing council are li have lifelong connections to the Mount Desert Island area, and, and their families, in many cases, go back generations. So, you know, they are using it, but also, what about all those folks from away uh, who also have connections here. So, it is, it, you know, I can't give you a specific example because I don't know of everyone who's been on the World Wide Web, um, but uh, that is our hope that folks will be able to use it as a resource for family history. The other users that, uh, a group of users that uh, we are going to be uh, engaging would be local students. So, um, you know, part of the curriculum of uh, elementary uh, education is local history. And uh, uh, again, that's what this history trust is all about, is this place, this place we call MDI, and more broadly defined to be, you know, Blue Hill Bay, Frenchman Bay Islands. Um, so uh, as we get more resources online, we're going to be reaching out uh, more and more 
um, to the various audiences that I mentioned. Mm. So let's let's. Um, how does it actually work? <laughs> um, what what are the what what are the ways that um, I as a as a potential user? How would I access that material? How would I navigate the the uh, material, Bruce? So I'll start and then pass it off to Pauline. Great. Uh, and I'll just say that uh, first, the thing to do is go to historytrust.org. Okay. And on that uh, homepage, there are actually four places where one can engage with the digital archive. But so the digital archive is one of the things that we have been moving forward with and is up and running. But it's a it's one part of the bigger picture of the history trust because collections care and management. Uh, we want to make sure that in addition to presenting these resources to the public online, that they're going to be around for generations. Um, so in fact, the name history trust. Uh, is that we collectively are holding these in trust, these items, these resources. And when I say resources, I mean, you know, photographs, books, objects, tools. Um, so we want to hold these things in trust for the future. So if you wanted to learn more, you could go to historytrust.org and then Pauline. Well, and what's there? When you get to historytrust.org, um, it's basically a, a fairly easy to use online database. You, you do what you do with any other place. You type in the words you're interested in and stuff comes back. Um, and there's records there from all 11 of the original History Trust members. There's about 10,000 records uh, have been entered, some of them through the previous work that we did with um, History IT, but people are adding to them all the time. Um, you search, you find a hit, like I was searching on pest houses the other day for Bill Horner. He's doing a project about pest houses. So wait, I got wait, 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 let's, what's a pest house? We gotta, we gotta define our terms here, Pauline. A pest house was where sick people were sent. Oh. It was a, a place for them to be in isolation if, with infectious diseases. So this would have been in historic times when a community experienced an outbreak of what kinds yeah. of diseases? And, and did you get Measles. any more specifics? Okay. Uh, any sort of infectious disease, as far as I can tell. And it was, we're talking about maybe a hundred years ago. Okay. Not that long ago, maybe a little yeah. more than a hundred. Right. Um, right. And all I knew is he was interested in pest houses and there used to be one on MDI. So I searched and a whole bunch of records came up. Some of them had pictures, some of them not. The one that came up was a little entry from the Jessup Memorial Library in the digital archive. The, the central database shows you what everybody's got. As soon as I found something from Jessup, it took me right to the Jessup site and said, okay, this was a record that, it, that there's a folder of information about the lot that the pest house is on. And it's part of the John D. Rockefeller Jr. collection that the Jessup holds. And I thought, oh, cool. Uh, but I happen to know that material is all at Colby College in their archives until Jessup can get some more archival space built. But I also knew that um, a lot of the papers, or some of those papers, it's a wonderful collection of John D. Rockefeller Jr. papers that the Jessup was given. And as part of an, another early experiment, we digitized one box of those 13 um, down at the Maine State Library. They were nice enough to scan them all for us, and they're sitting up online. So I went and found the actual folder with about 50 pages in it that have been scanned. I was able to download all those as a PDF and email them to Bill Horner without ever leaving my desk. Mm. So it's turned out to be our original idea, just as Rainey mentioned, the newspaper project was a way to bring everyone together and produce a useful resource together. 
The digital archive is turning out to be a way for us all to work together and to discover what we've got to have a place, you know, we, so we write it down and then we lose the list, right? Well, this is a place for everybody to, to enter what they've got, a good way to discover where there's overlaps in the collections, as Rainey mentioned earlier, um, and where there's synergies. We're looking at doing a joint exhibit based on what we find that people have information about. So basically you sit, you search, and when you find something, you know right away what museum or historical society it's in, and you can go straight back to them and boom, you're back to primary sources. Great. In Bruce. many cases, there's a, there's a photograph that goes with uh, the, the object. So you not only get a description, but you can see it. Um, and Pauline and Rainey, I'm wondering uh, when the, your past perfect records go up, or Helene actually, um, how many more records will we have within the next month when all of the past perfect items are up? What, what do you mean by now. past perfect? What's uh, sorry, that's a, that's a collections management software that's used by Tremont and um, Mount Desert Island. And that is, you know, that's one of, that's the old, that's the old technique where it sits on a computer on somebody's desk. And if you wanted to know about it, you would have to call somebody at the on the staff and ask them to look. So what we're doing is transferring those kind of um, static records. We're loading them up on into the digital archive. So, Rainey, how many records do you know? How many you have that will go up like within the next month? I don't know offhand. We've we've got tens of thousands of records between the archives, the photographs, the libraries, and the objects. Um, the challenge that we're facing, I, and I, I know we're not alone with this, uh, is that we've got some imperfections in our data in-house where we've had volunteers entering the data uh, for cataloging a collection. So you get a series of, of you know, like a banker's box of archival material and photographs and books and ledgers and, you know, a pipe stem or whatever donated to you. All that has to be individually reviewed, cataloged, photographed, and entered into the database. And so we rely heavily on volunteers for that work. And sometimes some are better at, at entering the data than others. So we have some data mistakes that we need to do some back of house cleanup um, so I have a feeling that our stuff will go out in batches. So we'll get the first several thousand out that have, we know the records are clean and that they're in good condition and those will go out and then we'll, we'll batch another set. Um, so I have a feeling our process will be, um, in the thousands, not individual, but it won't, you won't click the button and all of a sudden all of our records will be there either. So the reason I ask is that we now have 10,000 and I was just going to guess that within a month we'll have 20,000. Items. Oh, I think easily we'll be doubling that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Helene, what would what? How would you answer Bruce's question? How how are things going um, with your use of that software and getting it uploaded? Well, we started about uh, maybe three years ago loading data, and we have a very uh, large collection of photographs, and so there were three of us um, working on data input uh, and. Uh, so I, I believe we have a little more than a thousand um, uh, photographs already in. And, and um, even though we're volunteers, um, uh, our volunteers understood the importance of um, standard, standard procedures. And so I was very happy to uh, learn <laughs> from... Uh, from our um, uh, George um, Sulis, Sulis, <laughs> that 
that uh, we had uh, maybe four mistakes. So that, um, but on the other hand, we probably only have 2,000 records. So, um, uh, but we will be working uh, through the winter. And so I will be able to work and, uh, and we actually hope past perfect as, as um, Bruce said, was a more limited um, uh, software program. Uh, but uh, we think we will be able to work from home. We'll have access to, uh, to it from home. And um, so we'll be able to work more regularly on it. What, what are some of the hurdles that you faced as a, as a brand new organization? You've described the history that preceded the creation of this organization this year, but what are some of the hurdles you're facing and the challenges and, and how are you responding to those? Rainy, you have a... Um... Sure. So um, we, as Bruce mentioned, there's a, there's a challenge campaign for the financial um, gift that we've got going on right now. Um, so the History Trust has been generously funded through gifts of private individuals, as I mentioned, the Butt Foundation, um, but others as well. And and that's been able to be seed money for us to get started. And like I said, to do the study with History IT, we found that the results from the History IT study made recommendations that were far exceeding our realistic financial abilities to, to, to achieve. So the History Trust really had some difficult conversations at the beginning of our relationship about how we wanted to move forward. And one of the, the things that was mentioned is we, the digital archive is only one aspect of their goals and scanning and um, caring for and storing our fragile collections is another thing that's super important. The History IT project had outsourced all of that. And we decided as our members, we wanted to train ourselves to be able to do that work. As Helene mentioned, the Tremont Historical Society has done a really excellent job of doing that. It's slow and steady work. So we wanted to invest in our own community and in our own people to scan, digitize, and document and do the the database. And then we had other goals as well. And all of that takes money. And one of the challenges that MDI is facing is the reality that there are too many organizations and not enough donors. There's huge donor fatigue on MDI right now. And this is a problem for every nonprofit. And so we need to be looking at super creative ways to engage with donors so that they're not feeling like they're asked constantly for the same things over and over again. If I'm asking for money to support scanning, rehousing, and digitizing my collection, and Tremont asks for that, and the Bar Harbor Historical Society asks for that, and Great Cranberry then these donors are getting six and seven asks for the same project over and over and over again. Whereas if we can have somebody give to the history trust, that money will then be distributed amongst all organizations so that we're all benefiting from the same thing. So if my ability to raise money for the MDI historical society might, might be stronger than somebody with an all volunteer organization, but my resources aren't necessarily any more important than someone else's. So this way, we all get to benefit from that together. Now, the challenge is how do we continue to raise money for our individual organizations, which we need, and justify raising money for the History Trust? And the goal was we would no longer be asking for as much individual giving, that we would be looking for grants as a collective. We feel like we have a stronger opportunity to apply for grants 
that none of us would be eligible for individually, but that we are eligible for as a collective. And so um, the biggest success that I can point to is hiring Bruce Jacobson as our project manager, because oh <laughs> he is helping us grow up. He's holding us accountable. He's incredibly organized and talented. He like every face that anyone encounters at the History Trust is thanks to Bruce right now. And um, I mean, not solely, there's a lot of people behind it, but Bruce is like bringing us all together. And that's where this next phase and our, and our biggest challenge is gonna be getting over that financial hurdle. The seed money is done. We now need money to really like dig into the work. And um, so, so that's, and that's not easy, but I think I've been so heartened that all of us, all the member organizations are taking that in a stride. Like we understand that that's part of our growing pains and, and we're just buckling down and, and doing it, which makes me really happy. There's no nitpicking or like starting to tear apart. It's, um, I, I really have so much confidence that we're going to get it done. So one of the things that you've mentioned is beyond the digitization and, and making the digital archives available, you're um, all about um, taking care of the collections. Um, I, I imagine that different size organizations have different abilities to take care of their collections. How are you as a history trust helping the individual organizations with the care of their, um, their materials? Well, I guess I could uh, give one example is that on Great Cranberry Island, um, w- there was a mention of the 2017 um, study that was um, brought forth by the Friends of Island History, the precursor to the History Trust. And um, that, as, as Rainey said, gave recommendations uh, about the care of collections. And so the Great Cranberry Island Historical Society uh, has a headquarters building on Great Cranberry called the Cranberry House. And that's where they hold their collections, uh, which at the time were in the basement. And I think we all can understand that basements are not the blessed place to keep uh, historical uh, documents and photos and and objects. Um, And so uh, at the end of that um, assessment report, the Great Cranberry Island Historical Society decided that they would improve their um, both collection storage their exhibit space and their programming space. So they about doubled the size of their building. And um, when I talked with the folks out there in Cranberry, I went out in August and got a tour and sat on a picnic table in the sunshine, socially distanced, of course. And um, what I learned was that that 2017 assessment report was really the foundation uh, for their uh, archive improvement program. Mm. So that there were specific things in that report that they were able to use to dis to give to the architect and to uh, design a space that was more uh, appropriate for the storing of their collections. And then they then used that document also uh, as the basis for their capital campaign to raise the money to double the size of their building and to build uh, proper collection storage. So that's just one example. We're also working to share expertise between the History Trust members. 
my background happens to be in retrieval systems and training people to use retrieval systems. So uh, I've been working with Bruce to try to set up some training so that people know how to use the digital archive. We have other people who are experts on vocabulary and subject indexing and organizing collections, and they're working to, to bring everyone, you know, a large organization can have more resources in that regard or just happen to have people who are volunteers who have a background in that. So we can share that. So not everyone is having to go through and start from scratch in terms of what are the appropriate standards? What are the costs for things? Um, we're planning on sharing equipment. So there's lots of things in terms of just sharing amongst ourselves that will be yeah. economies for everyone. We also did the workshop uh, last fall with the Northeast Document Conservation Center, where we brought in two trained archivists to come up for two days uh, that was hosted in the new space for the Southwest Harbor Historical Society in, in Manson at the church. And there were 35 spaces for people to participate. So the History Trust members filled that first. But then we were able to open that up to other members of the community who wanted to learn how do you identify different types of photographs, each type of photograph you know, done in a different way um, as photography developed over time sort of requires a different care and has different concerns. So how do you manage that? Um, how do you, you know, catalog and inventory? So a really great professional development opportunity that was free for everyone involved, thanks to the History Trust. Mm. Again, I'll just remind listeners, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about how to connect historical re resources together for all time. And our guests include Rainy Bench, who've just heard from, from the Mount Desert Island Historical Society, Pauline Angione from also from Mount Desert Island Historical Society, Helen Tookman of the Tremont Historical Society, and Bruce Jacobson of the History Trust. Um, before we, um, before I interrupted, um, I think, Helene, well, you had perhaps had an example of how the History Trust is helping the member organizations, including perhaps yours, do a better job of taking care of collections. Well, actually, Rainey described um, oh, okay. the, um, the program. But again, uh, uh, the Northeast Document Conservation um, Center is itself a cooperative venture, um, quasi-government uh, experts uh, who, uh, in my previous life, uh, we used to restore old maps and, um, uh, and train people. And, uh, and to reiterate what Rainey said, that, that we had the budget money to do that and offer it. And that was really an essential um, uh, virtue uh, and, uh, and a great um, boon to, to us. Mm. What, what interest have you um, encountered from elsewhere, either in the state of Maine um, or around the world? Um, are there people interested in the kinds of things that you're, you're doing? You're, you're probably not alone in, in thinking about no. this as a solution. <laughs> Uh, as you say, it's um, it's not uh, the idea is not completely original that we share things online, um, and I think that um, that what we are bringing uh, are two different things that are are different. I should mention that uh, George Sulis of Avant Logic is based in Southwest Harbor, a software development company, and he's the one who actually, um, with his partner, his firm, that developed the the digital archive that the History Trust is using. Um, and he was able to introduce some features which um, uh, are a little different than your typical um, search on a on a database. So uh, it's a way to refine your search and get uh, kind of 
make it a lot easier to find things. So that's one thing that's a little different that we've heard uh, about. All of the records that are generated as part of the History Trust Digital Archive will eventually be fed up to the Digital Public Library of America, which does accept data from all over the country. Uh, Maine, in Maine, you submit your data to the Maine State Library and they upload it. Uh, but even today, uh, the site is being crawled by the general search engines. If you go into Google and search, uh, you can find things that, that are listed in our database. But uh, the, the items are actually there and accessible to people. I think the other thing that um, I said there were two things. The other thing that is, um, I think, unusual about our effort is that it is place-based. We are really focusing on this place that we call home. And, um, and many others are uh, kind of much broader, either topical or, um, you know, the country or the world. And so I think those, that really distinguishes what we're doing. We're really focused on uh, Mount Desert Island and the surrounding islands. The other piece of magic about the digital archive that, that George and his company have created is that you're able to establish relationships between people. Um, and you're actually able to put in these records that hitch them all together. History is about stories. Mm. And the database allows us to tell stories. So if Pat Jones lived on MDI and Pat Jones owned a store and Pat Jones owned a boat and Pat Jones had grandparents and kids, you can hook them all together. So fantastic for family research, but also fantastic for the stories of, you know, how did that house get built there? Well, that was Pat Jones's brother. Um, so it's a wonderful way, and we're all looking forward to figuring out how many of us have Pat Jones in our collection, too. So right. it's, it's, it's the stories that emerge that are just phenomenal. So. Great. Well, we've got just a few minutes left. Maybe I'd ask each of you um, to talk about some of your hopes um, for the future, either for the next year or for the next uh, 10 years for the History Trust. Helene, could we start with you? What are your hopes for the future of the History Trust? Well, my immediate hope is that we can raise enough money to keep <laughs> going, <laughs> um, uh, which um, uh, is essential. And um, uh, and, and part of that involves um, uh, changing the culture. Uh, in Maine, uh, there's a lot of make do, do it yourself, independent, taking care of yourself. And, and so shifting to a culture where you ask for money in, in Tremont is, is something new. And, um, and so uh, we are now faced with that prospect and uh, and I look forward to getting the message of Tremont has and um, and how how important we are to the history of the island out um, and I hope that that will uh, uh, result in some fundraising right so that the, that the core of that is um, individual organizations and communities taking pride in what they have as history and then, yes, and, then trying and to tell that, tell that to message. Rainy, yes. what's, what are your hopes for the future of this endeavor, Rainy Bench? I think um, the Digital Archive is a huge success, uh, like a, a, and ha has the possibility of just continually growing. But I don't want that to be the defining piece of the History Trust. I want us to look at that as one part of the puzzle for how 
this collective continues to work together and solve problems that face all of our organizations instead of having to face them individually to, to come together as real true partners to overcome challenges and obstacles and to embrace opportunities together. That's great. Uh, Pauline and Joan, um, what, what are your hopes? Someone said to me the other day, are we going to get this done in our lifetimes? And I said, I hope not. Uh, we're just starting the whole idea is that this does keep going and as rainy said and it helps us we are able to identify joint needs joint victories joint glories and to work together to bring these collections up to the the quality and the standard of care that they deserve Mm. You've got something that's really important. And what you're saying is, this is not just in one lifetime. We need to set the stage for the future. Just to start. Bruce, what are your hopes as the project manager um, coming into this, helping it get it on its feet? What are your hopes? Well, that exactly is my hope, that within the next year, the History Trust becomes operational, that it is a functioning, um, you know, ongoing organization. As I mentioned, it was just created as officially created uh, this year. Um, so, um, so my hope is that within the next year that it is a self-sustaining, which of course means money, but it's much more than that. Um, you know, it's really the enthusiasm, the, the work of many people to keep it, uh, kind of purring along. Mm. Well, we've unfortunately come to the end of the hour. Be sure to join us from four to five on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you've got comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And stay tuned and please tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of the University of Maine Sea Grant, four to five on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balmain House Highland music recording. And thanks again so much to our guests here in the studio as we talked about the History Trust, connecting historical resources for all time. Bruce Jacobson is the project manager. Randy Bench is with the Mount Desert Island Historical Society, along with Pauline Angione. And Helen Tuchman is with the Tremont Historical Society. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown to assisting with our engineering. Stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlbog from 6 to 8. This is Ron Beard, producer and host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good afternoon.